My name is Simranjit Singh. I'm a senior fellow with the Sikh Coalition and a visiting scholar at NYU. What's sort of almost ironic about the situation of Sikhs in America is that people who perceive us and see our turbans, they usually interpret them as being the exact opposite of what they actually mean to us. Instead of being about justice and service and equality, they'll see it as inequity and hate and terrorism. That's sort of the, the average American's impression of who I am when they see my turban. This is Beliefs, an exploration of ideas behind the news of religion. I'm Bill Baker. This week, an Instagram star became the most recent object lesson in prejudice and bigotry. Influencer Jess Hilarious publishes a raft of posts telling the story of how four men in turbans made her feel afraid. The posts were met with intense backlash. To unpack a variety of moving parts, Beliefs producer Jay Woodward met with Simran Jeet Singh of the Sikh Coalition of New York. Thanks for sitting with us on Beliefs. There was an incident earlier this week involving a comedian named Jess Hilarious. What happened? Yeah, sure. So she's, a, she's an Instagram celebrity. She has about four and a half million followers on Instagram. Um, and she, on Instagram, posted some videos of her boarding a plane. She saw some sick men in turbans in front of her. Um, and she made some uh, sounds and some statements that indicated that she was scared of them because of how they looked. Um, she later uh, posted some additional videos talking about how uh, she didn't want them on her plane. And after that, uh, it turned out that they were no longer on her plane. And she claimed uh, in some videos that she's now deleted uh, that it was because she had asked them to be removed that they had been kicked off. Uh, and so that, that was the incident that sort of sparked a pretty international conversation. You know, the, the videos went viral. Um, a real conversation about what it's like to travel uh, in today's context with with turbans or beards or, or these sorts of markers. I have the tweet right here. You reposted one of her posts. I thought maybe we'd just take a listen real quick. We're on our flight. Where are you going? Where are you going? If I'm scared, I'm scared. How y'all feel? Y'all mad at me because I don't side with every other black person. Because I don't side with every other race. Y'all, I feel how I feel. I felt threatened, and that was it. Y'all. And I'm not flying there. We were evacuated. Why? Why? With no reason explained at all. No technical difficulties or nothing. Y'all gonna listen to Just with the Mess one day. Because <laughs> my news is real. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, for sure. I think it's I think it's a pretty complicated story. And, and one of the things that complicates it even more uh, is that we don't still don't know what actually happened. Um, we don't know what airline it was. We don't know what flight it was. We've been looking into the details, haven't been able to confirm. Uh, but the thing that's clear is that she openly expressed bigotry against people who looked a certain way on her flight um, and her when she was called out on it. Uh, she was unapologetic and said, you know, I'm not racist. I'm, I was just scared and it's okay to feel scared. Yeah. Well, her agitation is palpable, but you know, what is it in reaction to? It sort of feels like, you know, that's a reaction more to the condemnation than to her actual fear. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, um, you know, a lot of times we see this when people get called out for, uh, racism instead of stepping back, recognizing their mistake 
and uh, and apologizing, they double down and say, you know, what I did wasn't racist or wasn't problematic. And in this case, even in her follow-up apologies, you can see very clearly that she is unaware of who she's talking about and why what she did was wrong. And like, honestly, personally, uh, I experience this, you know, I have a turban, I have a beard, I, you know, every time I travel, I'm reminded of how different I look and how differently I should be treated. And so like this particular story is not surprising to me. It's actually not even all that interesting. I mean, the only thing that's interesting about it is that this woman's a celebrity and shared this with her 4 million people. Otherwise, this is an everyday occurrence that people like me endure all the time. And and it's usually not a conversation. I have to ask, um, I'm confused by why a turban is a signifier of of anything. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting to me is that 4-6... Um, turbans signify something very particular. They signify a commitment to our faith, to the values that we espouse, you know, justice, service, equality. To me, when I wrap my turban every day, it actually means something very significant. What's sort of almost ironic about the situation of six in America is that people who perceive us and see our turbans, they usually interpret them as being the exact opposite of what they actually mean to us. Instead of being about justice, and service and equality, they'll see it as inequity and hate and terrorism. That's sort of the the average American's impression of who I am when they see my turban. In the context of South Asia, historically, turbans signaled one sovereignty. Only only emperors could wear turbans at the time. Um, and and in our tradition in Sikhism, uh, the gurus, our prophets, taught that everyone is sovereign. Every individual is equally divine, and therefore autonomous, sovereign, and that everyone is equal. So instead of asking emperors to stop wearing turbans, uh, the gurus decided that they wanted to empower the people and say, you know what, all of you are kings, all of you are queens, put on your turban and, and we'll do this together. And so for me, when I say that a turban is a reminder and a signifier of equality, I mean, I mean it quite literally. The very act of putting on a turban for the gurus and for me today is actually a political statement that this is my reminder that we're all equal and that we're all kings and queens. And so that daily ritual is part of honoring that. Growing up in the U.S., right, I was born and raised in Texas. I was reminded every day that I wear a turban. Like th- there was no question for me as to, you know, whether it's it's a conscious act, a conscious decision to wear the turban. And so to do that and to know that you will endure racism for that decision, you have to be pretty committed to what you're doing. Jess's reaction to seeing six on her plane is actually not that uncommon. Um, and it's something that is conditioned based on the messages we get from society around us constantly. So this happens, again, it happens all the time. And, and my point is, not that we should excuse Jess for her racism, I don't think we should, uh, but also we should understand the kinds of systemic problems that are producing uh, the racism that we experience around us. You know, beliefs are tricky like that. They, um, they're they so hard to pin down where they come from, and yet they're really not in a way, too. And it seems like it's much easier to create that environment than it is to dismantle it. Do you know of things that work that help to undo that? Yeah, it's I, it's a fantastic question. I think I think one of the things we have to recognize um, is that a lot of our fears are actually irrational, right? We we treat them as rational and we have a logic to them, um, but if we step back and examine 
what is producing that fear will realize that it is produced and sustained by ideas that we don't actually believe or want to believe. Um, things that go against our values as people, right? So, so one of the interesting things in this situation um, was that, you know, Jess Hilarious is black and a lot of people came back to her and said, how can you, as a, as a black woman who experiences racism, turn around and subject another community uh, to stereotypes that are so harmful? And I, I mean, I think that's an interesting question because it reminds us that all of us are subject to this. Even if we experience oppression ourselves, we might reproduce that oppression in different ways. I think what I found helpful is to be honest with ourselves internally uh, about our own biases. Because I think what, what has helped me is recognizing that I carry some of these biases that are socially produced in the same way that everyone else does. And once I admitted that to myself, it's a lot easier to understand why someone else would do that, how they might carry this, how they might sustain these ideas. Um, and then and, and then you don't end up falling into a trap of dehumanizing them, right? Like I don't, I don't hate Jess Hilarious. I don't think she's a bad person. I don't appreciate her behavior and, and how she responded, but that has nothing to do with her character or who she is or how she is. Um, and, and I think I'm able to do that because um, I recognize those same sorts of flaws within myself. And I don't blame myself and I don't blame her. I think the problem is we live in a world that teaches us these things. And, and so my real question is, how do we unlearn some of the things we have learned and how do we teach our kids to do differently? I think that's, that's the more important question for me. You can see just struggling with both of those, both in, in the one that we listened to and also in her subsequent apology, where she is angry, she's really ramped up, and she is insisting that she's not bigoted. She is insisting that these are not her values, that she's not that sort of person as she's in the middle of doing it. And the cognitive dissonance is, on one level, fascinating to watch. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think it's easy for us to sit here and point fingers at her and be like, well, you're such a hypocrite, right? You're saying one thing and doing something else. But I think what's what, what would be an interesting exercise is for all of us to sort of reflect on our own behaviors, right? It, not necessarily about seeing a sick person on an airplane, but what are what are the ways in which each of us engage in hypocrisy, where we say we're doing something and convince ourselves that we're doing something else, right? I, I think that's something, it's, it's part of the human condition. We all do it. Uh, but usually we trick ourselves into thinking we're not doing it. And I think that's the problem. The part where you were talking about how um, people tend to double down, in that doubling down process, you know, psychologists can explain a number of different ways that we'll defend behavior that we know to be wrong and we'll keep going for it and going for it. We see iterations of this all over the place. The, the defense of, I was scared. I'm thinking in terms of the article that you wrote for RNS, where you said, we've seen this time and time again, um, such as in the past year, when a woman called the police on a black family in Oakland, telling a 911 dispatcher, I'm really scared, come quick. There's the, a culture that is developed of my experience, of my fear, is more important than any other truth. Speaking of reversible trends, can we, can we pull out of that emphasis on individual experience? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think everything that's socially produced is reversible. I think, I think the challenge is we have, as a society, 
uh, come to prioritize uh, our fear and, and the threats that we perceive as being more important than our rights, right? And that's, and that's something in this sort of war on terror age uh, where you have the Patriot Act and you have people saying, yeah, get that guy with the turban to go through extra security just in case, right? He should have a right to similar rights as me, freedom of religion, all that. But we also need to be safe. And where do we find the balance? And, and I understand that balance, right? Like, I also want to be safe. I have kids. I live here, born and raised in the States. But like you're saying, there's a real slippery slope to when we start prioritizing fear as a cultural product, uh, as something that drives us. And when we start to live in that way, it, it produces a real psychological impact. Um, and, and you feel um, emboldened, not just emboldened, you feel justified um, when your fear, as, as jested in the situation, uh, comes from a place of bigotry. Like even her apology, she said, you know, I'm not racist, I was just scared. And the question is, where does that fear come from? And, and how is it both culturally produced, but then also what have you seen in your life that, of how you negotiate that fear in a public setting? And when we live in a country where people are constantly calling the cops on people of color, on black people especially, because they see black people as a threat, we're not thinking about, or we're not at least talking about uh, the biases that underlie that fear. Uh, instead, we're simply talking about, you know, who should be going to jail in those situations. And so for me, it goes back to that conversation about digging deeper into what racism does to communities um, and, and who ends up on the wrong side of power. And in this situation, and, and as you've seen with other situations, the person who is in power is, in, when they're feeling fear, they're, they're able to have other folks removed or, or um, yeah. My name is Simranjit Singh. I'm a senior fellow with the Sikh Coalition and a visiting scholar at NYU. Um, I'm a scholar of religion, an activist, writer, runner, father, Spurs fan, love basketball, all that stuff. Our guest was Simranjit Singh of the Sikh Coalition of New York. The conversation continues on our Facebook page and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, Come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker, and thanks for listening.